rolling through a Thursday afternoon. Trying not to be the American idiot. <laughs> Good luck. Troy, David G. From the luxurious... What hotel are you in, Mitch? I mean, is there is there luxury hotel so, in McPherson? <laughs> I'm actually still at the Roundhouse. Because there's, a, there's, a sh- there, there's a short turnaround from 5 o'clock to just going to check in. Plus, I forgot. I also, like, gave them my time i'm probably going to check in ah okay and that was after the show so i i figured if we get to five o'clock the game will already be going they're not going to have like a bunch of music playing so it's you're just hearing the squeaking of the shoes and fans cheering once in a while you know there's not even a whole lot of people here manhattan high suffering the loss to start the tournament this afternoon what's it shaping out here for their potential opponent tomorrow uh it's gonna be marysville most likely they're down 10 right now to shawnee mission south um yeah, it, it, I, I think it's most likely Marysville. So 6A versus 3A. I forget Marysville's 3A. I'm an NCKL kid. Right? It, it, everybody's 4A forever. And now uh, Marysville, nobody goes to school there anymore, I guess. <laughs> this gets into something even that I've noted, and it's much like some of what we've seen along the front range of Colorado, and that is where it's the 6A and 5As are the, are the city and suburb schools for the most part. You get to the western slope, and there's nothing over a 4A school out there. And we're starting to see is that Colorado with all... Colorado one of those states... Gonna, sorry to interrupt. Is Colorado's not one of those states, is it, that instead of like 6A, 5A, 4A, it's like 3 AAA, B, no. and 3 AAA, C, like... There's some state, weird states out there like that. No, no, they don't do it that way. It's it's the good old fashioned six A five A the same way that uh, the same way that things are now. And and honestly, five A is actually the largest class as it pertains for basketball. They went to a six A for football because you had some schools that were becoming so dominant. Uh, Valor Christian would be one. Uh, you can discuss that however you want, but. Uh, uh, there are a number of former Broncos players who are on the coaching staff and a number of their kids who play there. So you wow. can imagine how that program grew. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're so good. They got on the Broncos. Yep. They're like, we got to get them out of this league. Pretty much. We got to yeah. get them out of this. Yeah. This, this, get them, put them in 6A against nobody. But again, what it does now is that you are so heavily weighted to the eastern side of the state, and specifically the Front Range, that uh, you know the, the the classifications whittle down from there, and and you don't see anyone being much of a large school. Poor Grand Junction sits out there; they're they're, they're having to play in a league that stretches back across the Front Range to to just to get teams that are in their classification. Mm. That's a four-hour drive in most cases. You know, that's going to be a possibility for Manhattan High. Like after the. Uh Centennial League dis, you know goes away um, they're having trouble finding a league and and that's the and that is exactly the the misfortune of yeah. uh, the way that we're now seeing basically population trends go yeah. and and it really puts then a strain on teams that aren't in those leagues they're gonna start playing Clay Center and Mitch is gonna have to get up and give a speech <laughs> to the Tigers. <laughs> I don't even know if Clay Center is 4A or 3A anymore. It, these these schools keep bouncing back and forth, yeah. 4 to 3 or 3 to 2. It, I, I, I've i lost track. I have no idea. You've lost track. <laughs> try, coming, I was, uh, try coming back to the state the, after so long. In the program that they gave us for the Mid-America Classic, they have the enrollment numbers. Marysville 
is 242. Manhattan is 1,874. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. That's awful. But I also know, you know Marysville, when Kendra Wecker was playing oh, there, shoot. that was why they got involved with tournaments in Wichita and other places because at that point they were winning the Hiawatha tournament each year by overwhelming margins. Yeah. And so they they needed a step up in uh, competition because of what Kendra was doing, and and so they moved and and now find themselves as the smallest school in a tournament in McPherson. I had I had a guy I went to middle school with right here down the street at Eisenhower Middle School, and he was a like me a lot like me just like a grown man as a, a middle schooler. He was huge. And he went to the punt, pass, and kick competition for Kansas. He made it to the end. And he came back, and we we're like, what happened? Did you win? Obviously you did. You look like you're 26. <laughs> and he goes, no, I got beat by a girl. <laughs> and we roasted him, and we found out it was Kendra Wecker. And she shows up, and she got to do the punt, pass, and kick thing at a halftime of a yep. Chiefs game. Yep. And she, and then they showed her throwing and kicking, and we're like, whoa, this girl can kick. Mm-hmm. She could punt, pass, and kick. She was amazing. She was an amazing athlete. Oh, she was a tremendous athlete. Um, Mitch, since uh, you happen to be seated there, your thoughts on uh, some of what we heard from Jeff Mitty, speaking of women's basketball, coming off the loss last night at Texas. Well, that was a game I wasn't able to watch. It's stupid sure. Longhorn Network, right? So I was listening to it a little bit, and it reminded me of the Texas Tech game. Uh, physical. The defense was just a step behind. Um, and then shooting the basketball, you know, K-State starts like one of forever right. uh, from the field, and, and they only score like two points in the first quarter. It was just out of the gate like the Texas Tech game. It, it just unfortunately just wasn't competitive. If they hit a couple of shots, the freshmen, all three of them, were just cold for a while. Serena Sendell gets banged up. It just it wasn't in the cards, and Texas is extremely good. Like I mentioned Texas Tech. Texas Tech is not Texas. Texas is top ten in the country. They are going to be like a sweet 16 team, no doubt about it. And K-State, I mean, to keep Texas to 66 points I thought was a win. But offensively, Aoka Lee gets a double-double, but just didn't have enough from the rest of the team offensively to compete. And that was a little bit disappointing. But what I've learned about K-State women's basketball, they are an entirely different animal at home than they are on the road. On the road, they feel like kind of an average team. But at home, they feel like a superstar type of team. Like, they can beat anybody. That's why they've been so fun to watch at home. And they're, I mean, since they're playing TCU and, you know, TCU's whatever, they're going to they're gonna handle the Horned Frogs. Like, it could be a 70-point game for Oakley. They're going to handle them so easily. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that's the case, do I get to supplant the uh, box score that's hanging on the wall in the office with the one? Because it, it turns out that I'm going to be behind the microphone this time. Oh, did you get the job? So we were trying to figure that out because it, it depends on if Manhattan was going to, if what game they play on Saturday. So they were like, well, let's, we need somebody that we for sure know is going to be here. And I was like, well, of course they're going to text Troy. Troy's going to get some uh, extra cash coming his way here in a few days. But uh, even if, even, I'm still going to be there, PA announcer or not, I'm going to be there for that game. TCU is 6 and 10, uh, Garbaggio, if you want to put it lightly. So. Uh, yeah, you know that that one's going to be a fun one. Which, by the way, I hear I hear for that game. So they're they're doing obviously free ticket or uh, one dollar tickets for this game if you buy them within like the sixty one hour. Which plateau. ended? Yep, ended but, Thursday. Oh, okay. oh, that sucks. Well, today, 
So, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but for the students, students get in free. The 61st student into the game will get a prize. Whoa. And I'm curious to know what that prize is. My guess is $61. Like That, that would be funny. But no. also, who wouldn't take 61 bucks? A college kid especially. He's like, Let's yes! See. Yeah. 13, 26, so multiple, maybe 52. Oh, boy, uh, you're, you're looking at about four and two-thirds of a pizza from Pizza Shuttle. Nice. With $61. Or, or $61 <laughs> shots, if oh, you can God. find them. That, that's pretty good, if you ask me. You better be buying shots. For, you better be buying 61 shots bucks, you're people, a man. king in Angieville. You are balling. Everybody's like, we should do this. They should do this every weekend. That's amazing. Oh, that's painful. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I mean, because... You think about the dollar shots, you're probably not getting a lot of booze in them, so you're going to have to take a lot of those. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to buy one for the shot, girl. That's right. Yep, yep, always. One of the things that stood out about watching that last night uh, was Texas is exactly what Vic Schaefer wants them to be. Uh, coming in from Mississippi State, he wants a physical, fast-paced ball club. And he's got that right now at Texas, and and it showed last night uh, that that K-State just had their struggles being able to keep up with the physicality. And, uh, you know, I thought Jeff addressed it pretty well, and that is that it's still that piece of of things is a learning experience for the freshmen. Well, I'm not going to pretend I know a lot about their head coach, but I I will tell you that I thought K-State, in a way, as well beat themselves uh, by missing shots. They were getting open shots. Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as the scoreboard would say. They were just, you know, True. they weren't doing what a typical K-State team like what we've seen this year can do. The, uh, I tell you what, though, like the three-point shooting for K-State has been a little bit cold the last three games. They they weren't exact. Aokali stills the show. Meanwhile, K-State goes like four of sixteen from three in the game against Oklahoma. Like they are, they're better than that. I mean, three-point shooting saved them at West Virginia. Uh, when they were down a few players, and r- lately they've been playing with nine, um, I'm not worried about them. Uh, one loss at Texas easily could K-State, uh, in the end of February I think is when they play again, easily could they just win by 15 against Texas in Manhattan. I, they just, I'll go back to my previous comment about how on the road they don't play their best basketball. At home, they, they go beyond with their expectations maybe not in terms of playing their best basketball but you brought up a great point and that is that that they're an average team away from home really that's what a lot of times that you want to see out of your team is at least be a 500 ball club away from home in conference play because then you can make up that ground easily with your home action and be able to put yourself into a very strong position how that plays out when it comes tournament time is another question, but being average on the road isn't a bad thing. No, it, especially this year. And that's because the Big 12 is like the men. Eight teams can make it in. Uh, if you go 12-6 and six in the Big 12, you could win it. That's right. just the way it is this year. Um, I would say Baylor and Texas are still probably, with Iowa State, you, that's probably your top three, but K-State can definitely crack that top three. Winning the Big 12 is going to be tough. Um, especially if K-State can't steal some wins on the road against these top teams. Uh, they still got to play at Baylor later this year. They got to play in Ames. Those would be some big ones if they could steal. If they could steal both of them. I mean, that's that would be just gigantic. But, you know, Aoka Lee, who is the best player in the country, I, I know she made it look easy 
but when she scores 20 points, obviously she needs more help because it's a limited bench, especially with K-State starting five. I mean, no offense to everybody else on that bench, but you, you take a step down. You really do. Next year is what makes it so exciting with Aoka Lee announcing that she's coming back for next year. K-State bringing in four extremely good recruits. If you thought this last class was really good, next year might be better, and I think it actually is better. Um, that's where you get excited that uh, the depth gets a lot better with a young team. Where did Jeff Mitty turn this in terms of recruiting? Where did this start to become the trend now with this program that he's got that high-caliber type of recruiting? Well, I, I, I think he's always had that high-caliber recruiting, but like Chrissy Carr, just things not working out with her, uh, and then going to Syracuse, you know, the transfer portal's coming to play. Um, it, it's not. It's kind of like the Bruce Weber. Like on paper, he's bringing in good recruits. Just some don't end up working out. Uh, some really do work out. I think just Jeff Mitty had struck gold with the class he brought in with the three freshmen, with the Glenn sisters, who he's been recruiting since they were in junior high, and Serena Sundell, best basketball player in Missouri, is coming in. But he needed a young lineup to come step up because if they weren't stepping up this young lineup, Rachel Ranke is out for the whole season with a with an injury mm-hmm. so that's your best three-point shooter returning who doesn't play all season long absolutely needed an impact and even though they haven't been playing their best basketball lately they would be in a really rough spot if they didn't have those three freshmen no doubt about it uh, because they've been they've been game changers and that's evident just by the fact that all three of them or the three starters anyway have been able to pick up a, at least one freshman of the week honor from the conference yeah so yes uh, uh, Jalen Glenn, right, who picks up the honor, but Briley Glenn and Serena Sundell, all three freshmen have been honored by the Big 12. And also, I think what they're, I mean, they're better defensively than they have been offensively, I would say. That's that's also been a big thing about K-State, about how good they've been defensively. Too many times last year was K-State just giving up easy basket, easy basket, not closing out on three-point shooters. It was a very disappointing effort by the defense last year. What an upgrade this year. Because K State is one of the best defensive teams in not only just you know in the Big Twelve but in the country, um, they don't have like the three point defensive numbers like K State has on the men's side. But man, they would be in a different spot again without these three freshmen. But defensively, you know, game in and game out, they're going to give you a shot to win. Like I mentioned earlier, holding Texas to sixty six points was huge. The number fourteen team in the country came into Manhattan this past weekend and they're held over 20 points below their average that's that that's gigantic and turned, uh, and, and turned freshmen around, are a big part of that turned around they turned around last night and just blew the doors off oklahoma state i mean completely different ball oh, game for OU. Yeah. yeah completely different game for ou well again another part of that is also coach mentioned with aoka lee aoka lee wanted to guard anybody if they need to switch and one of those players is Taylor Robertson, the best three-point shooter in Big 12 history, who passed Lori Kane's record. And Robertson, she did hit a few threes, but she's held under 20 points. She's one of the best scorers in the Big 12. And she was a big reason why she wasn't able to shoot the basketball is guess who's standing in front of her? 6'6", Aoka Lee. Taylor Robertson's 5'11". And I I wouldn't say Taylor Robertson's the best ball handler. When she gets inside the three-point range, her two-point shot hasn't been where it should be you saw that in the game against k-state on saturday so if you look at this texas game don't worry don't freak out don't give up on this team don't jump off the bandwagon 
K-State's going to get you right back on that bandwagon on Saturday at 6.30. TCU will be the foe, and we'll, of course, preview that a little bit tomorrow as well. As we continue on the game, Mitch is in McPherson. Dave G and myself here with you uh, live in Manhattan as we continue in a moment. When I talk about divisions apparently the big 10 is now looking at getting rid of divisions and it comes right as the big 12 is starting to think about putting them back in with the change in the uh, conference structure on the way the next few years this is the game on news radio kman i've got a little good news for chiefs fans coming up for sunday afternoon actually i've got a couple of good news items before we get too deep into talking some college athletics again. But Carl Sheffers was originally apparently supposed to be assigned to the AFC Championship game as the lead official because of his ongoing beef with the Chiefs, <laughs> dating back to 2016. He's been assigned to the NFC Championship game. Ah. Bill Vinovich will be the lead official for the uh, AFC Championship game. He had it last year as well. So there's that. Tyron Matthew was uh, back at practice today, but still had to test today in terms of concussion protocol. So a couple of items there to note. But uh, yes, Chief Sand, you're, you're better off. You will not have Carl Cheffers as your lead official t- on Saturday or on Sunday afternoon. You know, I, I never know any of the refs. The only guy I've ever known, and I, his name escapes me now, but... It was John something. He's a, a college basketball referee, um, and he's got, like, the comb-backed hair. That's the only guy that I ever really was like, Higgins. John Higgins. That's the only guy <laughs> I was ever like, I hate that guy. You know, it's funny because there is literally now a run on accounts in on Twitter and websites that track the officials and statistics and – I actually follow one account specifically just because they're good at explaining rules. It's called Football Zebras. Yeah. And and they're stellar at it. They know the rule book and they're good at it, but they also keep track of who's officiating what game and what teams uh, that they Uh, have had and different things like that. If anything, the Tim Donaghy thing kind of taught us it is important to know who is, if you're going to bet a lot of money, it it is important to know who's revving the game. You know, because there are certain guys that make certain calls and certain teams with problems, like the Joey Crawford thing where he had vendettas against different guys, and that would that would come that would play into the outcome of the game because he had a problem with X player. You know, it's crazy. Hey, Mitch, do the Cowboys have an official that uh, that they prefer not to see? Yeah, that jabroni that took for two hours to get up to spot the ball. Taking that light brisk jog. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that fool's name, but he shouldn't show up again. Oh, man. Uh, I don't like laziness. No. That guy is forever. Can, he cannot return to that area ever I mean, again. Can you imagine it, what? It wasn't so much running into Dak. It wasn't so much running into Dak. It was just he was 20 yards behind the play, and then he takes off and runs. Like, why are you hanging back there? There's, I know, there's no flags. I know. Yeah. How would he have even managed the final 13 seconds of regulation on Sunday for the Chiefs? No, God. Well, oh no. Let's re- well, let's remember though that Cowboys didn't have any timeouts right. at that point. They used the last one to talk about that. That's what. That's why I blame it on the Cowboys. It's because they took the timeout. They should have had two plays. Don't try to spike it. You only you know you're in very short time. Just run the next play. Snap it. 
run the next play. That's only you're, It's not like the 49ers are going to know you're going to run another play. They think you're spiking it. Just run the play. It's a Hail Mary anyway. Just chunk it to the end zone. I don't know what the – I just didn't like how it was all drawn up. I was watching. I know the referee took forever to get there, but whatever. I was watching the Nickelodeon version, so I just saw people getting slimed, dude. I didn't <laughs> – I didn't – I don't even know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? Emmett, was, Emmett Smith just sitting there yeah. in, in a luxury suite gets yeah. slimed on TV. They were like, oh, no, it's SpongeBob. And you know, he ran out on the field and ran into Dak. I mean, it's just – that was fun. That was cool. One of the things that has been under discussion uh, at the uh, Big 12 is whether or not we will see divisions when the conference expands coming up. Because you're going to be in a position where there's going to be 14 teams. Divisions specifically for football, but the other sports are also being discussed. The irony of the situation is there is now a report by The Athletic that the Big Ten is actually looking at eliminating their divisions. Remember when they were called legends and uh-huh. leaders? I do remember that. The the original structure of the Big Ten's divisions when they added teams, they are looking at getting rid of the divisions and reducing their football schedule to eight conference games. Wow. As part of their alliance with the Pac-12 and the ACC. That's an interesting scheduling note that they're going to go to eight because it opens up a non-conference game. How much will the Big 12 be involved with that, I wonder? Or is it going to be the alliance? This this is the flaw I see here right now. Big 12 is on an island yeah. in that discussion because the alliance is formed and the SEC is what it is going forward. That's an uncomfortable spot to be in if you're trying to schedule right now. But, you know, the divisional aspect of it is is interesting because we're going to eliminate, at least if you do it, going round robin the way that it has been and be back to what the Big 12 originally was, but just now with a couple more teams at 14 for a time being. I love divisions. I, I loved the structure of North and South and the the old Big 12, the original. I loved it. But then you would always run into these situations, not always, but every once in a while. Speaking of, oh, I don't know off the top of my head, 2007, uh, you have a KU team that doesn't play any of the top teams mm. in, in the league. Mm-hmm. The best team they play that year was Missouri. And that's the problem that the Big Ten is talking about because the West is so weak in comparison to what the East has become. Right. Where you've got Michigan, Ohio State loaded up in there, Michigan State, it's, you know, Penn State. It is a dogfight. Right. Each time, even with Maryland and Rutgers in the East, it still winds up being a a dogfight in that division. And, I mean, those guys, they've got to be like, we're never going to win the conference, you know, or the league, or whatever we're doing here. We're not going to win that. We're stacked. They're stacked against us. That's I, you run into so many problems with that, but it is fun. It's a lot of fun to be able to say we're the North champs. That's cool. It's cool to hang your hat on that stuff. But it also changes then what your look is going to be for the championship game. Absolutely, and the fact that it's the matchup between the two top teams from the divisions as opposed to being first and second place. Mitch, your thoughts? 
I just want to say for a while, it was a 90% chance for you to get into the Big 12 championship game because Oklahoma had a spot until this last year. Right. And it was up to the other nine to figure out who's going to play Oklahoma. Well, if you break it down now to divisions, it gives you now, I don't, I, I'm not going to do the math, but a one in seven chance to now get into the uh, Big 12 championship game. And when Oklahoma and Texas leave, it's one in six. So uh, clearly a lot better of a chance. And if you think the way things are going to be divided up, K-State will probably have the easier division. At least the way things, you never know if it's going to be broken down, but you would hope K-State would have the easier division. I don't want BYU in my division because they can go to hell. But <laughs> Boy, whoever else BYU, gets in, whatever. The BYU hate already. Boy, you'd think you were a Mountain West school or something. <laughs> that, that's been happening for uh, ever since the idea of, uh, of bringing in BYU came up. I, I've always been anti-BYU, but I never wanted them in the Big 12. I don't care about the money of it, that whole thing, selling out to bring BYU. I just the, the standards BYU lives by, the discrimination of the LGBTQ community, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of people of another race other mm-hmm. than being white, that discrimination, I have zero tolerance. Good. I don't care how big of a name brand BYU is. I don't think they're ever good enough to be Big 12. This is also the same the same things that, you know, had Mountain West schools frustrated with them too. So you're not alone in that reasoning at all by any stretch and and it's part of why I scratch my head a little bit too because when you start to look at okay, the universities that are involved maybe not as progressive in terms of uh, in terms of say Texas because of where it's located, but it's still you know, does pose some concerns for a conference going forward when you have a school that is tied so tightly to their church as the uh, as BYU is. Baylor somehow has been able to put that aside, though, and it has worked out for them. It has. You know, that really, though, they've been able to put that aside for a lot of things. You know? Okay, they're, valid they're, point. they're able to look past all of that in the name of winning. And if as long as you win, we can cover, we can figure out the rest. The whole BYU thing, though, it does, it is, it stinks because it's it was they, the Big Twelve schools, the 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 guys that were left over, they were in a position where they needed to do so. They had to be proactive, and they had to say, "Well, we got we don't have any moral ground to stand on anymore. Yeah. We are struggling here." And that, that stinks. That stinks. I, I give BYU credit, at least from the athletic administration, is that they firmly believed that they should be a Power Five, especially given that Utah went to the Pac-12. They firmly believed it. They were able to bide their time, and they find themselves now with exactly what they were looking for. Maybe not the conference they wanted specifically, but they got what they wanted in terms of being a part of a, a Power Five going forward so it worked out in that aspect for them how it plays out the rest of it we will wait and see yep exactly coming back we'll talk about k-state's men's basketball team on the road at Ole miss this weekend are we looking at a team that desperately needs w's to get into the ncaa tournament that one we continue on the game can see clearly now the rain is gone. Oh, yeah. I can see all obstacles in my way. 
Now, see, that would be the, be the hope for K-State basketball right there. Yes. Gone are the dark clouds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they can see clearly now what they need to do to win. 1972, Johnny Nash, and I can see clearly now, four weeks at number one. Damn. His only number one. Yeah, one hit wonder for sure. I'm just so happy right now that it's not like Little Jonathan and the Gazebos uh, 1957 <laughs> hit. You know, you make me want to hold your hand. I, I just thank God for this. Johnny Nash. Get it. I didn't realize that he was. 50 songs. What's that, Mitch? There are some 50 songs on the uh, on the list, but very few. Like the only pl- reason I'd play him is like there's Conway Twitty. Yeah. And I I kind of want to just throw him in because he's Conway Twitty. Yeah. No, he's cool. Conway Twitty's awesome. But there was a couple weeks ago there was one that just just really got me. I don't know. Like I said, I'm happy with this one. This is good. Mitch, you you, you really surprised me with the note that he was an American singer songwriter. I did not know he was from Houston. Where'd you think he was from? Jamaica. <laughs> he, I mean, this does have a Caribbean kind of swing to it. Well, you know, it's the, technically reggae. Ah, see. He did. Re- oh. He did record this in Jamaica. I'm from Houston. <laughs> <laughs> did record it with Bob Marley, by the way. Oh. Marley was an assistant producer and a session player. And also wrote three of the songs on the same album that this song is from. Wow. Wow, that's cool. First reggae song to hit number one on the Hot 100. The next one would be Clapton's cover of Marley's I Shot the Sheriff in 74. Mm-hmm. Followed by The Tide is High by Blondie in 1981. Hmm. What? Blondie? The Tide is High. I'm going to have to look that one up. I don't know if I would consider any Blondie reggae. First, I mean, at least you got to be from the South, right? Yeah. I mean, she's from New York. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it was the 70s. Reggae is not New York. It was the 70s, man. You know, they they were too busy doing pure cocaine. They didn't care. The the beat structure. Blondie's a band, not just one person. The beat structure is probably where they would judge it as... Reggae. Oh, what is that? That reggae business? Yeah, throw it under reggae and let's get out of here. I'm an American music producer in the 70s. Sorry. I'm going to have to dig up the uh, dig up the video of this one. Of course, it's been covered a lot. Most famous live version was Ray Charles, November 12th, Whoa. 1977 on Saturday Night Live. Whoa, dude. You know that you got a hit when Ray Charles decides I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. That's what an honor that it must have been for that guy. I didn't I did not know that Nash had 17 studio albums. Damn. More prolific than Little Johnny of the Gazebos. You know, are you are you telling me you know who he is outside of this song? Well, no, not so much. <laughs> I just think like 17 albums after a while, it's like, stop. Back then, they were banging them out. They were. Like, they, they could 
they, a lot of bands, a lot of uh, artists, like, especially in the 60s, they would put out two in a year. Yeah, that's true. They're like, I got a lot of music in my heart to get out. Part of that was just because the money was there more so than it was touring that's at the true. time. That's very true. That's very true. It's it's funny to think about it that We've way. We've completely flipped that on yeah, its head. Yeah. On its head. Guys like, and back then they could be like, oh, we'll put an album together. Uh, Bright Side Sunshiny Day, uh, the instrumental version, the remix, let's do the Ray, Ray Charles version, and the UK version on one album. Put I'll, it out there. I'll give his uh, publicist credit. They love to embellish to create talking points. One press release claimed when he was a baby, Johnny Nash cried a song in the crib. Oh, my God. Somehow a story floated that the song was written when he was recovering from cataract surgery. <laughs> But there's no evidence. Oh, my God. That's too on the nose. You know, I want to tell that guy, that's too much, man. Nash died of natural causes two years ago, October 6, 2020. R.I.P. Surrounded by family in Houston at the age of 80. Wow. Long life. That's uh, R.I.P. to him. He hit a, that's a, This is a smash. Smash hit. Everybody knows this song. Everybody. You just don't know Johnny Nash. <laughs> don't know who the hell that guy is. But do you feel like people like actually own the album? No. Like I, I get sick of this song after hearing it a couple times. This is yeah. no Caribbean Queen. No. It, it doesn't hit like that. No, it doesn't hit like it hits different when it's in like a movie. You know, like you, it feels like the most cliche movie song of all time. Now NBC has to add it to the highlights when they run Jamaican bobsled highlights this oh, year at the Olympics. great. And their guys are like, geez, this song again? <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> oh. I thought this was their national anthem. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. You know what, Mitch? I think we're good, they, man. They, Go ahead. They, they'd be Hang disowned up. on that because he's from Houston and not Jamaica. <laughs> we're like, hey, we don't care. <laughs> no, I thought the Blondie song was no, the national no, anthem okay. for Jamaica. Right, no. <laughs> Ask us anything when we continue on the game. The Bruce Weber Show coming up tonight at 7 o'clock here on News Radio KMAN. Manhattan High girls basketball again tomorrow afternoon. Mitch will be courtside at 245 for a 3 o'clock tip as action continues at the Mid-America Classic in McPherson. All right, Dave, what's up your sleeve? First of all, did this song ever hit number one, you think? I mean, this is a banger, man. You do that. You look that okay. up. And I have a question for you, Mitch. Uh, what, do you, what do you, and Sage, uh, what do you <laughs> hoard? Is there anything that you hoard? I'm a big, any plug-in of any kind, any cord, like charger cord, I keep them all. I got them all, baby! What about you? Sage, you can go first. Um, I mean, off the top of my head, over the course of my schooling, I keep a lot of like history notes, so any history class that I've ever taken, I probably have the Notes that I've taken for that class somewhere in my wow. life. Wow. So you go, nah, nah, and if somebody comes up with a history point, you're going, no, no, nah, nah. No, right it's not here. like that. It, it said, he said this and points to the books, and you're like, geez, 
I hate coming over to Sage's house because <laughs> she's going to show me history notes. What a nerd. That's good. That's great. That's a great answer. Mitch? I, I would have to say uh, pins. Like, everybody loses pins. I don't. I always have a surplus. So if you ever need a pin, you let me know. I don't know who's been stealing pins from my desk. Oof. Not me. But if I find out who it is. Shout out to whoever's doing that. Uh, th I think you're looking probably uh, Paul Parker for that one. Um, <laughs> uh, to, to go back to your thought, as high as number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Th this is a banger. This is a good one. I can't believe not a number one. That's wild. Um, what food could you eat every day? Uh, I'm a pasta guy. Man, I could crush pasta every day. Easily. Pasta. Ugh. Absolutely could do pasta Bane every day. Burritos. Burritos or Doritos? burrito every day. Burrito. <laughs> B. B. What B, kind B. of burrito, though? Are we talking like the uh, the frozen oh, kind? Oh, man. You get... No, no, no. no. I, I... I, I hey I, listen. I'm not gonna go. You can't go wrong with a frozen burrito, in my opinion. You know, put some cheese on it, melt it in the in the in the uh, microwave. Yeah, isn't that just a hot pocket? Pretty good. <laughs> isn't that a hot pocket? Listen, yes. Don't be trying to downgrade my frozen burritos. No, by but going on hot never, never. Those are basically mini calzones. That's right. Oh, I hate those things. I can never get them right. Like I can never get them hot enough. Yeah, um, they're either too cold or piping hot. I know, and then it's just like alcohol spilling out the uh, the the end, and you're like, this is gross. Burns you. Oh, yeah. oh, Paul Parker's here. Burn pockets. <laughs> Say, do you have anything that you can eat every day? I could like, I could get a cheeseburger every day Ooh, and be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, a big juicy From burger. Anywhere specifically. Um, I mean, if we're talking like fast food or something, maybe like a Five Guys burger. Oh yeah. Um, sh really quick, that would add up. There's a lot of talk about the best burgers in Manhattan. Uh, one that doesn't get enough run, Hillside Cafe here in Manhattan Ooh. makes a fantastic hamburger. Shout out to them. It's just like mom used to make. I loved them. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Mitch, and have a skillet. Have, yeah. Have yourself a wonderful evening in your uh, luxury accommodations in McPherson. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Well, okay, I you know I know there's not a luxury hotel. The Econo Lodge yeah. is not going to be kind. You know, that's when I that's where I knew I did well down in Dodge City was that Maze was staying at the same Comfort Suites. <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> Dave G, myself, Mitch will be back with you tomorrow. Have a good evening. See you.